Hi there. It's the second week that I want to put out a statement before the show. I guess we as a society finally decided to address the elephant in the room, that is systematic racism against people of colour. But when we look at the larger picture, it's just another type of inequality. Racism, sexism, homophobia, all of these are under the umbrella of inequalities. It's often very hard to solve these problems because they are deeply rooted. Women players, for example, face frequent discrimination from people who are ignorant, just like those tweets we mentioned last time. With the amount of bureaucracy we have these days, the problem of inequality is entangled within the system, what I refer to as perhaps a systemic problem. Locating the problem within the system and replacing it with something new is the way to solve it. Don't just try to work things out using the system. If your internet is slow, getting closer to the Wi-Fi router doesn't help. If you continue to use Internet Explorer, you use another browser. Don't just look at these instances and conclude it is a policing problem. It's more than that. It shows how our system protects perpetrators whose accuser is a person of colour. We've shared a number of posts on social media about what we can do or you can do to support the current movement. I just want to end this statement on one note. That is, that is, things are not going to change overnight, and it will be a long fight, but we will stand together with you. Thank you, and here's the show. Welcome to the She Plays on Women's Football podcast. I'm your host, Harry Chan. As the Football Association officially cancels the Women's Super League and the Championship, many of its consequences are emerging the FA even yet to have announced how they'll decide the final results of the leagues. In today's second part of the show, I speak with Tottenham Hotspur woman winger Angela Addison about becoming a full-time player and the challenges players face in women's football. First, some news from this week. Phil Navarre said this week, quote, My plan was always just to go for the three years and then go into day-to-day running of a club job, which would be what I wanted to do. It's been brilliant and I loved every minute of it, but ultimately you don't get to see the players. You don't get to impact them every single day, which is now what I feel I need to do. And England's record appearance maker Farrah Williams, in response to what Phil Navarre said, said he demonstrated a lack of respect towards the women's game after the national coach described the role as a stepping stone to club management. Well, in the defence of Phil Neval, other coaches of international teams also leave after one cycle, playing perhaps after the World Cup, Euros or continental competition of another type. But perhaps the biggest concern is him using England to learn, yet the Football Association has made it pretty clear that they wanted to win, so this perhaps is not the learning project that Phil Neval was trying to portray. In other news, Liverpool said they believed they would have been able to meet the operation and financial obligations associated with a return to play once detailed drafts and accurate protocols had been shared with clubs. However, the club said, said they now await an equitable solution to those issues still to be decided in a campaign where a third of our league games were still to be played. I'm throwing shade. I'm throwing major shade. I think it's pretty clear the 
um, amount of shade that Liverpool is really throwing onto the WSL. But we said last week that they do have a decent chance of escaping relegation if the season should go on. Um, with the amount of games they have and the fact that they aren't playing that badly. Although another concern is what is happening within the club, within Liverpool, with as many as four players departing the club. So regardless of whether Liverpool will be relegated or not, it seems that the club will need some sort of rebuilding next season. In other news, Reading Women will be playing at the same stadium with the men's team, which is a very encouraging sign as it shows that it's possible for the men's and women's team to play at the same ground. Also, Birmingham City and Liverpool have both furloughed their players as part of the government scheme. They have promised to pay 20% of the wages while the government pays the remainder. There is an exception for the injured players who need to receive treatment and therefore cannot be furloughed. In addition, the Telegraph reviews that the Women's Champions League may be played out in August or September and it's currently in the quarter-final stage with eight teams still in the tournament. The first topic we want to talk about this week are players going out of contract. Courtney Sweetman-Kirk from Liverpool, who left after the end of her contract, as we said in our episode last week. She said that if the league was to continue, the teams would sign them on temporary contract until the end of the league. And for her, she said, quote, The feeling I had was if in that period I got injured, where does that leave me? With no medical care without the club. Now, this is in a way fueled by uncertainty, the reason why uh, a lot of players are going out of contract. First of all, matches are played behind the doors. So you have a lower match day revenue, but this could bring women's football to television. Uh, championship club's newest, the director Charlie Dobbs, said that the prospect of, of all football starting next season behind closed doors presents the women's game with a ma- massive financial opportunity. So you gain broadcasting, right? As we said uh, in, in, in the last episode where we were talking about uh, the financial situation of football clubs, broadcasting is something that not only increases revenue, but increases viewership, which also leads to sponsors being more interested. And also, the Women's Bundesliga, as we've mentioned last week, will restart. They are the only league in Europe, uh, Women's Football League in Europe, that will escape cancellation. And goalkeeper Hedvig Lindahl from Wolfsburg and uh, Sweden, she said that the Women's Bundesliga must seize the chance to entertain people around the world. Second thing is sponsors. Um, the economic crisis could mean that less sponsors and there's a reduction in investment from the remaining sponsors because A, they do not have the money and due to the economic uncertainty, they may be unwilling to invest in women's football teams. The spread of the coronavirus has pushed the pause button on one of the world's biggest economic powerhouses. We're coming on the air at this hour with breaking news there. Wall Street ending one of the worst weeks of trading since the financial crisis in 2008. We're starting to get to that point where those supply chains are going to have massive disruptions. Another concern are the parent clubs. And as we have mentioned in previous episodes, a lot of women's football team in the WSL or the championship have 
the parent club that is the the men's team, um, and the financial situation of the parent club could affect the support to the women's team. So that means if let's say the men's team loses money this year, which which is very likely, even though the Premier League, for example, is resuming without matchday revenue, uh, as matches are played behind closed doors, they will have a tighter budget next year. And as we have mentioned. Sponsorships are going to be harder to find, and also the amount of investment they receive from the board or from other sponsors will very likely go down. Which means that it could, the football club, the men's team, could close the women's team as a way to reduce the cost. For example, AFC Field Day only recently reversed the decision to disband the women's team, and that is because of huge media attention. Uh, which ultimately led to sponsors and a new way to go forward, but this is a problem that we ultimately have to face because with parent clubs, as we have mentioned in our episode about、um, the finances of women's team, if they depend on the men's club, as in these situations, it is very it is a possibility at at least that the men's team can cut the women's team. And last but not least, it's actually the resumption of the league. This is actually big, the biggest uncertainty surrounding women's football. Of course, the FA has yet to announce when the WSL or the Championship will return. It has even yet to have announced how the season will end. So clubs do not want to sign players and keep them at the club for months without playing games. They would rather sign the players when they know when the league will resume. Nor do they have the financial capabilities to sign them. And put that on top of the risk factor that we see with clubs who are poor and players who are going out of contract. Clubs being reluctant to sign makes a lot of player go to other leagues or even go out of football, which is one of the very concerning impacts of cancelling the league and from the football association a failure to announce what they are going to do with the remainder of the league with the results. And of course, when the season will resume, as we have said last episode, without something like the German Solidarity Fund,、uh, it's very hard to support women's football. So it's perhaps something that the football association have to look at after this economic crisis and after the pandemic. We'll be back. In other news, Manchester City women have appointed ex-Wales striker Gareth Taylor as their new manager on a three-year contract. Taylor, who is 47 this year, played for City between 1998 and 2001, and has been managing the men's academy team. He succeeds Nick Cushion, who left his position in February to take the assistant manager's position at men's major league soccer side New York City. Alan Mahon, who had been in interim charge. Will stay at the club as Taylor's assistant. Liverpool midfielder Christine Murray has left after two seasons with the side. The 30-year-old Scotland international featured 36 times for the Reds after arriving from Glasgow City in July 2018. Liverpool goalkeeper Anke Pruss will leave the Women's Super League club after two years on Merseyside. The 28-year-old German featured 31 times for the WSL side since arriving from Sunderland in July 2018. 
and Birmingham City midfielder Brianna Vesali has left the Women's Super League to join US side Houston Dash on a two-year deal. 24-year-old made 13 appearances in all competitions for the club after one season, having arrived in West Ham in July 2019. She moves to a Dash side which will kick off its campaign behind closed doors in June with the National Women's Soccer League Challenge Cup. Our next guest is a young winger who plays for Tottenham Hotspur Women. She was nominated for the FA Women's Championship Player of the Month Award last season. Please join me in welcoming Angela Addison to the show. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fine as well. As best as one can be now, I guess. So, how's it like in under lockdown? Oh yeah, it's alright. Um, just trying to keep busy. You know, keep you know, fitness up, play football whenever you can. Really, uh, it's, it's alright. I mean, it could be worse. But yeah. yeah. So, is are you doing training at home or are you doing it in your backyard or something? So I go out for some runs and sometimes go to the park, play some football. Now that we're allowed to meet people, I sometimes go and play with like my family and friends and stuff. So, so you you know that the season ended just they announced a few days ago. So does it affect how you're training? Does it affect what the club gives you in terms of the training schedule and all that? Um, it does because now that the season's ended, we're now on off season. So they've obviously give us a period of rest and then also they'll bring back some more things for us to do activity-wise after the rest period is over. And then obviously we'll have to go back to pre-season in, I think, maybe July sometime. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see, I see. So we just want to bring the time a bit back to when you first joined Spurs. Is there anything in particular that convinced you to join the club? I mean, before Spurs, I wasn't really thinking about am I going to make it as a footballer because I was in like the third um, league of women's football, playing for a team that hardly anyone's heard of. I was just enjoying my football and having fun. So when they approached me, I was quite shocked because I thought maybe I would get approached by a couple of teams in the same league as I was then, but not like... The, champ- the, the championship, which was yeah. the WSL2 yeah. then. So I was quite shocked and I just thought, I have to jump at this opportunity because who knows what will come from it. So, yeah. Right, so of course it's, it's a big success now that you're in the WSL. So back at the time when you were in, uh, in your original club, which was in the third uh, tier, as you said, and even for Spurs, they were in championships. So you were a part-time player, right? I do, do I get that? I'm right. Okay. So what's the biggest difference for you personally when you were part-time versus now you're a full-time player? Well, when we were part-time, we were still working because obviously right. the money wasn't, we weren't able to live off the money that we was getting. Yeah. So we were having like nine to five jobs and then I think three, time, three times a week, we, after working, you know, the hard day's work, we had to go and train quite late at night as well. So that was quite difficult and obviously the journey was a little bit far for me. So I, I live in Essex, so it's about 45 minute drive there and back. And this was late at night. So that was that's a big difference from now because now 
we have to focus on our football and only our football. Obviously, you can go and do your own stuff if if you wanted to, but we get paid full time now, so we are able to focus on just that. That's one of the differences. I see. So this might sound a bit counterintuitive, but is there anything that you enjoyed being a part-time player compared to being a full-time player? I mean, of course, you can focus on football being a full-time player, but then is there anything like that you preferred when you were something you want to bring back when you were a part-time player? Um, I mean, not particularly, but I didn't like hate it. You know, like I was at a good job at the time, and it. You know I mean, I didn't really mind being a part-time player because I was getting loads of experience like within the league and I was having fun and I was happy where I was at because I mean in my opinion I think the championship should be full-time yeah. I mean one league out of god knows how many in the women's game is full-time football and I just don't think it's enough but um no I, I didn't hate it but then again I much prefer it now because I don't have to train late late at night get home late and you know stuff like that well, it's obviously a big commitment to jump to full-time football. It's, of course, it's your dream job. But then was there, were there any concerns you had before you make that jump? Because obviously you're giving up a daytime job for football and obviously it's a very different career. Was, were there any concerns? Uh, yeah, quite a few concerns. Obviously where I live, so it's a lot of like travelling in the car. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the concerns. Also another one is that you... We, it's not like men's football, we're not on a five-year contract, you know, we're on, um, we get contracts for less years, so maybe at the end of the season, say if you don't have a great season, they can just turn around to you and say, well, we're going to let you go, which then makes you jobless, so then you really start to, I know the stress comes on, and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? But it's a risk, and it's a risk that I was willing to take, and it did pay off for me. So, right, so your career at Spurs, obviously you scored as a substitute against Everton uh, back when, before uh, everything. Did you envision it to be a header? Um, actually, I do. Knowing my height, because I'm only like five foot, very small, yeah. I have actually scored a lot of headers in my time of playing football. Yeah. Like, it, it amazes me. But um, when I was little, I, I started off in defence. So, you know, defenders head of the ball all the time. Yeah. So I think from then upwards, I've always not been afraid to, you know, get my head on it. I've always been willing to go up for a challenge with someone who's much more taller than me. But, I yeah. See. I see. So do you have any tips, though, for players? Because I don't think it's particularly a problem, even if you're short. Like in football, I think there are like quite a few benefits, even if you're a short player. But are there any tips you would give to players who are like, way shorter or, or like shorter than the defenders like how do you cope with that i mean if anything it can be an advantage sometimes because when you're short sometimes you can be quicker you can be because yeah. obviously you're, you're closer to you know gravity on the ground so you, you can be your agility can be better you know all i would say is as tips for like short players just practice things what maybe tall players have a disadvantage at and then use that so, oh, yeah. Yeah, so you just you just said that you started in defence. I actually noticed it, that you sort of moved up the field as you progressed in your playing career. Is there like a reason for that? Was there something your coach just told you to do it or was it something that you personally wanted to get more up front? Yeah, so when, when I was in defence, um, back when I was very younger, um, I just wanted to be involved in more what was going on upfield. 
to then move into midfield and in midfield you can kind of be all over the pitch. So that was a great place for me. But then I realised that I've got a bit of speed and a bit of you know flair about me. So maybe on the wing, which uh, an a manager actually told me to go on the wing. And then from then, it's just kind of stuck. Did anyone actually told you that, you know, maybe you, like when the team is low on defenders, did any, any coach or manager actually moved you back in defence for a game or two? Did that ever happen? Um. Yeah, I guess every now and then I played maybe full-back, so right-back or left-back, either side. And, uh, you know, when the, when the formation is a 3-5 formation, you know, wing-back, I've played wing-back a couple of times at the Tottenham even. So, yeah, I mean, to be fair, you use your defensive skills all over, all over the pitch anyway. Right, I see. So, you also scored a hat-trick um, against Lewis, like in the Continental Cup. Did you know, and that took four minutes, did you know that it was that quick, like, when you were playing? I mean, when I was playing, I didn't think it was that quick. Like, I, when um, when the game ended and uh, our media uh, woman, Rosie, came up to me and said, like, you scored a hat-trick in four minutes, I was like, what? Like, I thought it was much more further apart than four minutes. Yeah. But then I thought, wow, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, because I was, I looked at that and I saw that the date, only data I could find was that the fastest hat-trick in the Women's World Cup. That actually took five minutes. So technically you scored a faster hat-trick than the fastest hat-trick in the Women's World Cup. So I don't know about the WSL or the Continental Cup, but, you know, um, it was your first hat-trick, like professional hat-trick. Um, how did that feel for you? Oh, I felt brilliant. Uh, I was really enjoying that game. I loved it because I wasn't getting many minutes. So um, I started that game. I went in very positive. I had a chat with the management beforehand and um, they obviously told me what I need to improve on and I felt like I went on the pitch and showed them exactly what I'm about. Moving forward, you, your, your career obviously progressed pretty quickly. You got your first England, let's see, 20, you t- under-21s caught up like a few months back. Um, what was the feeling like when you know of the co-op? I was quite surprised and shocked. I wasn't really expecting it. Um, I've been to the camp uh, once before, right. but it was uh, for a day. I wasn't really expecting it, so I was really excited and uh, it really got me motivated. And I felt like proud of myself because I feel like it, even if it's the under 21s, under 19s, or whatever, right. it's an achievement and that will stick with me for the whole of my career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, because when they make the like when they make the announcements, right? They make it. I don't know if they make it. Do they make it online or do they like tell you beforehand? Uh, so they email us and they obviously get in contact with management. Right. And then on there, um, I found out from my manager Karen and Ivan, uh, of course. And then uh, I got an email saying uh, when it's going to be, how long it's going to be for, and all the information about it. So, yeah. Because I was thinking. Did, were you like, because a lot of players are like, they're around family when the announcements are coming, so you were not, you were with the your other players and, and the coaches. Yeah, I feel like I got the email earlier, Oh right. I haven't checked my emails. Karen <laughs> okay. uh, actually come up to me after we trained and was like, congratulations, and I had no idea what she was talking about. I see. Then, then she told me and I was quite shocked and overwhelmed, happy. Right, I see. Right, so... I think a bit earlier you you said that you know there are a lot of you know barriers for players, especially um, non-professional players. Like 
playing those playing part time. So, um, is there one problem that you think is the most serious one that you pick up that you really wanted to be solved in the current like women's football industry? Yeah, I mean, there's no you know hiding the fact that men's football is much more superior than women's football, even though the women's game is growing. Um, I feel like again, big steps would be to maybe, you know, make our league bigger, bring more teams up from the championship, and um, also I can't wait for the day for also the championship to be full time as well because I feel like every team in the championship deserves to be. You know, they work very hard as we did when we were in the championship. So, yeah. I see. Yeah, because no, because <coughs> what is happening is like with um, the current season, like. Ended. Um, Liverpool is basically saying that they shouldn't be relegated. I, I'm not sure whether you saw it in the news, but basically they put out a statement saying that they don't think they should be relegated and all that. Do you feel like this is an opportunity to maybe, as you said, expand the league? Yeah, no, I feel like this is a brilliant opportunity to expand the league. I mean, Aston Villa, like I feel sorry for them at the moment because yeah. they're in a the championship. They've gone the whole season, I think, unbeaten. Yeah, yeah. And they were the, they were going to get promoted. Yeah. So I think really sorry for them. So if you turn around to a team like that who's worked, you know, really hard throughout the whole season to, you know, get promotion and you turn around to them and say, Well, because of what's happened, we're not promoting anyone, I feel like that's gonna be a very harsh situation for them. But I do feel like it's a perfect opportunity to even promote the top two teams to come up. Right. You know? Yeah, because I know Villa is right, I think six points ahead of Sheffield, I think Sheffield United in in second place in championship. So yeah, th- I think that's 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 definitely a good idea because we were talking about that actually in the last episode. So I was just thinking whether you you weigh in on it as in if it's possible to maybe not relegate like a team in the championship, seeing that you know, season end and just promote the team so that all leagues actually grow bigger. Yeah, no, think? I think yeah. That's that's the ideal thing to happen in, in women's football. I feel like in order for the game to grow, there needs to be more teams that are full time, more teams competing, and the only way to do that is to expand the league. Yeah. So yeah. So because when you started, right, like women's football was even like it's it's obviously way better now. It's not where it should be in my opinion, at least. But then when you were playing as a kid, right, it was. Like a, not a lot of players were playing professionally, so like, what made you believe you could like one day become a professional player? Um, I mean, when I was younger, nothing really made me feel like I was going to be a professional player because right. it was never really heard of back then. Right. You know, it's all about men's football and not so much about women's. And I believe that women who were playing football were still working, so it wasn't a full time career that you could take. So I just played the game because I absolutely loved it. And I felt like that's what every women footballer today who plays, that's why they play the sport, because they love it, not because of, oh my God, look at the money side of it. So, yeah, when I was younger, I just played football because I loved it. I never thought I'd ever, you know, be a professional player, especially at the age of, um, what was it, like 19? Yeah. So, I see. So... Like looking back at your career, is there any any advice that you would have given yourself? Like maybe I could have done that instead of this or something like that. Would you have given any advice to yourself? Yeah, I mean, um, I felt like there was a point in my career where I think it was it was getting to the point where I knew maybe I wasn't going to make it. 
and uh, I went through quite like a, a time of thinking that I was going to give it up, and I just, I mean, I, I didn't, which was great because I'm, I'm here where I am now. So any advice that I would give to myself is just to actually just to just do the exact same thing because I didn't give it up and I did keep going, and um, I played football because I enjoyed it, and that I believe that's what has got me here today. I see. So we just have a few like quick fire questions that we want to ask you about. So one thing is, do you have any like pre-match rituals or like things you have to do before the match just to make you feel comfortable? Um, music is a really important thing. So you've got to have a really good playlist. Um, also, say if I um, have a special pair of trainers that I've been turning up to games in, I've been playing well, I have to wear them. Right. But apart from that, that's about it. For the, okay. For, Okay, so just before we end and wrap up, um, we've been doing a segment called, like we called it, the, the voices. So it's like a segment where we ask like players, coaches. Last week we had a message from Juan, uh, one of the head coaches from Spurs, uh, and, and like fans to send us a message or to like support young girls and also boys who are like chasing their dreams in football, but like facing challenges, of course, because of what's happening. Um, now, so we just want to ask you to you know say anything you want to um, young girls and boys out there who might want to be a professional player one day like you. I mean, I'll just say dream big and absolutely go for it. Obviously, you know, stay in school and stuff and school works, you know, important too. And you always need like a plan B. But if you truly want to become a professional footballer because you love the game, then I say dream big and go for it and just work really hard. Right, so thank you so much for joining us on the She Plays On podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you very yeah. much. If you like this podcast, remember to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. We'll be back next week, and thank you once again for listening. I'm Harry Chan, and this is the She Plays On Women's Football Podcast. Mm-hmm.